morning. We are in 1 Corinthians, as you know. That's where we're at for a while. We're going to be in chapter 2 today, starting in verse 6, picking up where we left off. So uh, if you will please stand with me as we honor God's Word in reading it. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, No eye has seen and no ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. You can have a seat. We're talking about wisdom today, and I'm going to trust that we know the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the information, the facts that we have in our head. We call people smart when they have lots of this stuff, lots of knowledge. You know, the walking encyclopedias, the brain of maniacs. Those people, they're, they're the smart people who have lots of knowledge, but wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is the ability to take knowledge and to know what to do in a situation, to know how to see things, to know how to understand things, not just to have knowledge, but to have perspective and to know what to do. As we talk about wisdom today, I am sure that in every one of our situations, we have a situation that we could really use some wisdom for. In each of our lives, we have a place where we could use some serious wisdom right now, don't we? There is not one of us who doesn't need wisdom right now. And so what I'd like us to do is just just take a second here and think, where is the area that I need wisdom? It may be a relational struggle that you're going through right now. It may be that there is a family thing that's going on that you need to have figured out. It might be a financial situation or a work situation. Maybe you have a health issue. Maybe there's just an emotional, internal thing you're going through. Maybe there's some stuff in your own faith you're trying to work out. But what is it right now that if you could ask God for wisdom in this situation, what is that thing for you? I want you to think about that. And then I want you to join me in prayer as we ask God to speak to it this morning. God, we thank you because you are God Almighty. And for some reason, your love, you have chosen to be present with us and to guide us and direct us, to love us and to care for us. This morning, God, we all are weak and we need wisdom. We're all limited and we need help. And God, we're asking that the wisdom that is available that Paul's referencing in this text would be wisdom that's available to us for our situation, God. And so however you want to guide us and direct us this morning in order to change our perspective, in order to help us see more clearly, God, 
we invite you into the middle of it. Now, you tell us in James that if any of us ask for wisdom, we will have it. But when we ask, we must ask with faith. Otherwise, we are double-minded and unstable in all of our ways. And we know that what that means is, is that if we are asking for the wisdom, then our commitment is that if you will give us that wisdom, that we will choose to follow it, even if it doesn't make sense to us. That's faith. So God, as we ask this morning for your wisdom for this situation, those of us who are in our hearts and in our minds right now asking you for this, God, we're asking with faith. We're making a commitment that says, if you lead, we will follow. Please guide us, Lord. We ask that these words this morning would not be just mine and that the things that we each hear would not just be our own thoughts, but that you guide us and direct us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Last week... We, our family got away a little bit for a few days, and we were at the shore, and it was awesome. And the one day we were in the house um, in the morning getting ready to, you know, go do whatever we were going to do that day. And uh, my, the six-year-old and seven-year-old, are, Evan and Colton, are hanging out in the room. Well, Colton has some stuff coming out of his nose. He had kind of a runny nose. Sorry for the grotesque uh, analogy this morning. And Jen says, Colt, you need to go blow your nose. Okay, so he goes to blow his nose, and he's walking over. Evan was occupied doing something else, and, but, he heard, but he overheard this whole thing. And he was concerned that Colton might not make it to the tissue in time. You know what I mean? And so he was very worried about this. And so in all seriousness, he offers words of wisdom to his younger brother. And he says, hey, Colt, stick your tongue out just in case. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, it was awesome. I told these guys that I was going to be telling it this morning. And um, it was all seriousness. You know, this is like words of wisdom from the seven-year-old son to the six-year-old son, you know. And the funny thing is, is the wisdom that he shared is not quite the same wisdom that mom and dad would have shared with his six-year-old son. And this is because he had knowledge. You know, the knowledge was that stuff comes out of noses. The knowledge is that gravity makes it go down. The knowledge is that below where that gravity takes things, there's this thing that projects out of the mouth called a tongue, you know, and it could really block some stuff, you know? And, but wisdom is piecing that all together and applying it to the situation, you know? And that's exactly what he did. How we would apply things in that situation is different. What's available to Jen and I or any normal adult would be different than that because there's a, a maturation process. And as you mature, there's certain social things that are unacceptable and therefore you just rule that out of your mind and it doesn't enter into the realm of thinking. I wouldn't have thought of that. You know, I just wouldn't have thought of that. That was pretty good wisdom, if you think of it from a kid's point of view. You know, it makes a lot of sense. From my vantage point, it doesn't make any sense, but from his, it does. And wisdom for us, how we piece things together, has as much to do with our limitations as it does with our knowledge. It has every bit as much to do with our limitations. You see, I wouldn't have thought that because there are things that are blocking me from thinking that. Thank goodness. You know, and there are things that, that, that Evan wouldn't think of because he hasn't matured to the place where it's expanded. So how much we've expanded and how much we are restricted determine wisdom. Wisdom is every bit as much determined by our limitations as it is by the expanse of our knowledge. Does that make sense? You understand that? What if this situation that we are referring to right now in our lives this situation that we know we need wisdom for. What if there is a kind of wisdom that's available to us that doesn't have limits? What if there's a kind of wisdom that can speak profoundly, custom fit, directly into my situation? That can expose God's purposes for my life and can get right into the nuances of my life and speak directly as far as what I need to do in this situation in order to experience God's blessing on my life and the fulfillment of what it is that he has for my life in this situation right here. What if that kind of wisdom is available? The kind that I have such a hard time seeing because I'm limited. And what if the only thing that's keeping me from that wisdom is the fact that I'm, I, I have a limitation. I'm looking from the wrong perspective. 
There was a film that was recently put out. It was called Limitless. And the, the premise of the film, I believe, is that uh, there's a medication that you could take that unlocks the use of the human mind. You know we only use a, a certain percentage of the human brain. And the, the premise of the film is that if you take this pill, it unlocks the ability to use all of your brain. You know, And so now everything's available. Pretty interesting premise to a movie. Paul says to the Corinthians that there is absolutely a deeper, more profound sense of wisdom that's available to us. That it is available to each and every one of us. But that we have limitations that keep us from seeing it. But what's going on here is that you can't unlock that wisdom. And you can't mine that wisdom just from expanding the brain just from human wisdom and more intellect and more knowledge. It takes something different. Paul has already set up this polemic. You remember that what he said previously in in the very beginning of chapter 2 and in the end of chapter 1 is he was saying, I'm not going to preach to you with persuasive words or with superior knowledge or with greater wisdom. All I'm going to preach to you is Christ and Him crucified. That's it. And so he sets up this polemic. He says, here is Christ and Him crucified. And over here is the wisdom of men and good oration, good communication. But I am not going to give you the luxury of, of human wisdom and of good oration because every time that happens, what seems to happen is you guys get distracted by it and you never get over to Christ and Him crucified. In other words, if we hear the seven steps to a successful marriage, then we stop depending on God for a good marriage. Instead, we try to apply our human wisdom in order to make it work. And he's saying, the problem with us is not the fact that we don't have enough wisdom or that people don't know how to communicate it appropriately. The problem is that we're not depending on God enough. And Christ was crucified and buried and raised from the dead because we're sinners in need of a Savior. And if we will learn to trust God with our lives, we will see real and deep change. But when we see good oration and good human wisdom, we have a tendency to get distracted from the actual message of the gospel. And we look to people who are good communicators and good leaders, or we look to ourselves and our own human wisdom. And that's the polemic that Paul already set up. And he already talked about that. And he said, you guys, uh, Corinthians, are at such an immature spot that I can't even speak to you about wisdom. Because if I do, you're distracted by it. So the only thing I'm going to talk about is Christ and Him crucified. But now, he says this. He says, but there is a wisdom. There is a wisdom, a message of wisdom, that we speak to those who are mature. There is a kind of wisdom that we do speak about. And that's to those who are mature. Now, what does he mean by mature? I mean, normally for us, when we think about maturity, we think about those who know how to balance their lives, who know how to deal with the relationship issues that they find. We talk about wisdom in the sense of someone who has had experience. They're the wise sage who has learned what life's all about and they know how to navigate the situations, right? They're like Yoda or something. They're, they're the ones who, they have perspective, wisdom. They've experienced life and they know how to deal with things. This is not what Paul is talking about when he talks about the mature in this situation. It can't be. Because he's already said that human wisdom is here and the cross of Christ is here. And if you're leaning into the human wisdom, then you're distracted from the cross of Christ. He says you're so immature and the reason they're immature is because they're seeing too much of the wisdom, the human wisdom, and they're not receiving the cross of Christ. But then he says, if you have grown in maturity, then we can speak to you about this deeper level of wisdom. So maturity must not be just that people have figured out how to deal with their life and how to navigate the the tricky waters of the human life. What he's actually getting at is maturity are those who have learned to wrap their lives around Christ and Him crucified. Those who have given their lives over to Christ and have learned not to depend on their own human wisdom and not to depend just on their own intellect, but who have learned to lean into Christ who their lives and their own identities are not shaped around their own success, their own intellect, their own beauty, their own whatever, but they are founded and rooted deep in the cross of Christ and dependent on Him. And those who have found identity in Christ and who have learned to lean their lives on Him 
are growing in a place of maturity where Paul can now begin to speak this deep wisdom to them. Why? Because they won't be distracted by it. Because by him speaking this wisdom to them, they will not take that wisdom and run with it and leave God behind. See, this is the danger, is that if we are given the six steps to uh, uh, success in our business, well then great, we have the six steps to, to success and I have my wisdom. All I have to do is go and apply that to my business and things are fine. And I stop praying and I stop leaning into Christ and I stop looking for it. But what Paul's saying is those who are mature spiritually, who have learned to lean into God, to them, there is a secret wisdom, a deep wisdom that I will speak to them. And what he says is, is this wisdom is not from the intellect. This wisdom is clearly not from the intellect. What this wisdom comes from is from God himself. This is God's wisdom, okay? This is the wisdom of God. Now, any wisdom at all comes first from the fear of the Lord, right? Proverbs 9 tells us, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, and the knowledge of God leads to understanding, that's Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Any kind of wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. And you might say, well, wait a minute, Tim. There are people who don't fear the Lord, but they have some wisdom, right? So what do you do with that? And what we do with that is the fact that while there are individuals who may not have a fear, a respect for God, and yet still have wisdom, they live in a society where there is fear of the Lord, or at least is built on principles that are birthed from the fear of the Lord. Okay, so let me put it this way. We have some semblance of respect for authority still left in our society. You know, there is still a basic understanding that parents are supposed to be in charge and have responsibility for their children, and children are supposed to be obedient to their parents. Whether or not that works itself out the way we think it should, there is still a sense among us that that's the way it's supposed to be. There is still among us not complete anarchy. There is a sense in which there's supposed to be government. And government is supposed to serve, provide, protect in a way for, for the people that they're responsible for. And the people are supposed to be obedient to the laws of the government and to help support the government. Those things are in place. Why? Because we were created inside of a structure in which there is fear of the Lord. And the Lord creates the family structure and the Lord creates the government, and our job is to be obedient to him and submit to it. And so even if I am personally not a God-fearing person, I live in a society that is built upon the principles of the fear of the Lord. And because of that, watch this. Now, I know if I get in my car when we leave here, that I'm going to take that seatbelt and I'm going to click it, right? I'm going I'm to reach back and I'm going to put it on and I'm going to click it. Why? Why am I going to do that? It's the law, and why am I going to obey the law? Yeah, well, definitely, I want to obey God. But for the average person, why are they going to obey the law? Consequence. They don't want a ticket, right? They don't want a ticket. Why does that work? Because why don't we just say, I don't care about your ticket. I'm not paying it. Anarchy, let's rise up and throw off the chains that bind us. You know, why doesn't society happen that way? There's still underneath of us this sense of respect to some degree, you know? Even though, you know, you hear whispers and you hear rebellion and you, and you see the chaos of our world, there's still a structure. And what happens is, is when we submit to that authority, that God-given authority, and we click that thing, now Proverbs 9 continues after it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of God leads to understanding. What it says after that is that if we live within wisdom, it will prolong our days. Click. I go out of here. Boom. Accident. It prolongs my days because I have my seatbelt on, right? All because of the fear of the Lord. Is that secret, deep wisdom? No, it's just the wisdom of being submissive to my authority because there's fear of the Lord, and if I do what I'm supposed to do, in general, it's going to turn out better for me, okay? That's the general wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord. That's the wisdom of men, but it still is, it works because of the fear of the Lord. But what Paul's saying is that the wisdom that we can have is much deeper than just the general wisdom that comes through the fear of the Lord. This isn't just the kind of wisdom that we get from having a belief system that believes that there's a God. There's a much deeper, a much more specific wisdom. This is the personal wisdom of God. This is the personal wisdom of God, is what he shares with us in the text here. 
personal wisdom of God. This isn't reserved just for those who believe that there's a God and have a belief system that acknowledges it. This wisdom is available to those who are close enough to God to hear him whisper it to them. That's what this kind of wisdom is for. This is the personal wisdom of God that he will whisper to those who know him. How do we get close enough to God to hear the whisper? Well, we know that God designed us for intimacy with him, for close relationship with him, right? Garden of Eden. They walked with God in the cool of the garden. That's how it worked. And they were created on the sixth day. And at the end of the sixth day, they went to sleep. And when they woke up after being created, after they went to sleep for the first time and they woke up, what day was it? This is hard. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. After the sixth day, they went to sleep. They woke up. It was the seventh day. Okay, there we go. Seven comes after six. Wow. You guys need to drink coffee. Um, seven comes after six. They wake up. It's the seventh day. What is the seventh day? The Sabbath, the day of rest. And so what do you do on the day of Sabbath? What's it designed for? Rest, honor of God, connection with him. That's the whole point. This is the Sabbath day. You keep it holy. This is the day you interact with God. They were designed, the first day after they were created was given to them to rest in him. Okay, that was the first day after they woke up after that first time. The first day for them was the day of rest, connection with God. And then every day there was this, they walk in the cool of the garden with God and they have interaction with him. And it's hard for us to imagine and comprehend what this kind of conversation would be like where Adam and Eve are walking through the garden with God. But, you know, we have pictures of conversations with our parents and the, or, or with our kids we need to get rid of those conversations in our minds because we have issues. You know, we all have issues. This was pre-issues, you know? And so, like, this was like God just always loved being with his kids, and the kids couldn't wait to hang out with dad, you know? This is their creator, their designer. He knows how everything works, and they're trying to figure stuff out all day long, and then they come and process with him at night. Hey, we saw this, and we saw that, and they're processing together, and he's kind of showing them stuff, and they're having a blast, you know? Maybe they're playing catch. Maybe who knows what they're doing, you know? And they're having a great time every day in relationship with God, and then once a week, they just chill out and do nothing but hang out. It's all family day. The whole day is them and their dad, you know? Family day, just chilling with God. And that's what the design is, is that, that design for us to be in deep relationship with God. We know that what happens is, is there's those two, two trees in the garden. They decide to take the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they want to know what God does. They don't want to be in submission to God anymore. They want to be the same as God. They, and they, breast up, they, they break up the created order. They break up that created order. So now they're, the whole thing gets shattered. And they're independent now. You know, we can handle this on our own. But the problem is, of course, is there's sin. What happens when there's sin? When there's sin, there's darkness. What happens to darkness when it comes into contact with light? It disappears. Yeah, it vanishes. It's gone. As soon as there's light, the darkness is gone. What happens to sin when it comes in the presence of holiness? Honestly, sin is not stronger than holiness. Sin disappears. What happens to righteous people when they come into the presence? What happens to unrighteous people when they come into the presence of a holy God? Same thing that happens when they touch the Ark of the Covenant, right? They disappear. They die. And this is what happens now. They can't have relationship, that intimate walk with God, because their hearts have been darkened. And so they're separated from God. And so they're pushed out of the Garden of Eden. They have to put the clothes on, all of that, and they're separated from God. Now, the journey of the Scriptures, the whole story of the Bible, is this picture of redemption where they're being brought back, where God's rebuilding the bridge. First, there's this corporate, this national relationship with God, you know, where he sets aside Israel, and he says, I will be with you. But it's not like they can each walk with God personally. Right? It's not like each one of them personally is having a relationship with God where they're walking through Jerusalem talking to, to God. That's not the way it worked. There was this kind of corporate relationship with God where he's like, I'm going to put my temple right in the middle of you guys and my presence is going to be there behind a curtain inside the temple in the Holy of Holies on top of the Ark of the Covenant. My presence will rest there, the Shekinah glory, and there will be like layers of protection between you and I. But my presence in your nation 
will bring blessing. And so there's all sorts of great things that happen to them. And their job is to submit to God by obeying certain laws. And when they mess that up, there's a sacrificial system by which they can, again, have a national relationship with God. But when Jesus comes, he wants to restore the whole thing, right? He wants to restore the intimacy with God. He wants to restore the relationship. So when Jesus dies on the cross... What he does, of course, is he takes all of our darkness, all of our sin, and it's buried in the grave with him. And when he rises from the dead, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And now we, in the eyes of God, are able to have relationship again. Now this is where, you know, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, you remember what happens when he gives up his spirit? What happens to the earth? Shakes, right? And there's something happens in the temple. What happens in the temple? The curtain is torn from where to where? From top to bottom. God grabs the top of that thing and just rips it open, right? And he says, no longer will I be behind a curtain. No longer will there be a barrier between me and my people. Metaphorically speaking, it is taking off the goat skins that he wrapped around them and it's putting on the white robes of righteousness. He's taking apart the veil that has hidden our face from his. And he says, once again, we can have intimate relationship with him. We can have intimate relationship with him like in the Garden of Eden. And if we have that intimate relationship with him, this is where this secret wisdom that Paul speaks of is available to those who receive the redemption of Christ because they can now have interaction with God. And if they have interaction with God, then they can receive the wisdom of God. But just because we receive what Christ did on a cross doesn't actually mean that now I'm communicating with God. It doesn't necessarily mean that, does it? Listen, there's a guy, a family, who's doing really well, and they're having fun, you know, their life, their life seems great, but they get mixed up with taxes, okay? And something goes wrong with their finances, they get an audit, they get in big trouble. This guy gets sent to the federal pen. He, there's no visitation rights, he's not allowed to communicate in and out, so he had this great relationship with his wife, but now there's zero communication. And this guy's stuck in prison. Someone goes to the judge and says, I'll serve his sentence for him. The judge, for some reason, decides to accept it. This guy goes in and serves the sentence. The husband comes out, and he's now out of the jail, and he's free. Does that mean that he has good communication with his wife? Does that mean that they're in relationship together? It means nothing other than the fact that he has the ability now to go back to his home and communicate with his wife if he wants. And in the same way, God has set us free from the bondage that held us back from a relationship with him. But just because he died on a cross and just because we trust him for eternal life and for our freedom does not in any way mean that we have an active and thriving relationship with God. All it means is that the stuff that held us back technically from having that relationship is gone. The chains that held us are gone. It doesn't actually mean that we're engaging in relationship with God. We still have to go home and sit around the dinner table and open up our ears and open up our mouth and interact with God if we're going to have a living and dynamic relationship with him. And he's made it possible through the cross, but that doesn't mean that he makes it happen for us. There's still a need for us to engage in the relationship. And if we're looking for wisdom of God in my situation right now, I can't just say that because God died on a cross, I'm going to rub my genie bottle and say, God, show up and fix my situation. What he wants for me is a living, dynamic relationship in which we have a healthy family situation where God, Dad, can guide us through the situation. But I have to have healthy communication with that if this is going to work. And that doesn't happen just overnight. That happens through a process of building a relationship. And what Paul's saying in this situation, in this text, is he's saying there is secret, deep wisdom that is available to each of us, but it is found through the Spirit. Listen, listen, verse 14 of chapter 2 here. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. God could be speaking very clearly and could be communicating, just whispering right into my life, giving me the deep wisdom that I need. But if I'm not nurturing a spiritual relationship with God, I don't hear it. I don't get it. 
I, 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 there's, there's nothing there. It doesn't get into me. I actually have to have my spirit alive and awake in order to receive. In verse 10, Paul says this. He says, but God, in verse 9, actually, we'll, we'll look at verse 9 first. He says, no eye has seen and no ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, right now, he has stuff totally prepared for us, and no eye has seen it, no ear has heard it. If we love God, he has something special in store for us. But then Paul says this. This is amazing. He says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. He's revealed it to us by his spirit. In other words, if I want to know what it is that God has going on in my life, if I want to know the secret wisdom, the deep wisdom of God, then I I have to be able to hear the spirit of God in my life. I have to. And if I don't know how to hear the Spirit of God in my life, then I'm going to miss the secret wisdom, the deep wisdom that God has in store for me and for us as a church. So what does it mean to develop this Spirit? What is the Spirit, you know? What is, how do I develop this spiritual relationship? It's available to me because of the cross, but to engage it, I have to be able to have spirit communication with God. One of the verses that uh, I refer to all the time in messages is Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and active and is sharper than a double-edged sword and it's able to penetrate between the soul and the spirit. Isn't that one of those ones that when you hear it, it's just like, what? It penetrates between the soul and the spirit. What is the soul and the spirit? You know, well, you have to have a good x-ray machine. You have to have a really good CAT scan in order to be able to see the difference. It doesn't work that way. What we're told is that the Word of God is alive and active and, and that it's able to penetrate between the soul and divide between the soul and the spirit. In other words, the way this Word communicates to me, it communicates different to my soul than it does to my spirit. It communicates in different ways. It communicates to me one way. It's just, it's like intellectual. It hits me and I process it and I think this is more soulish. Spirit There's a deep spirit communication that happens from this thing. The soul in general, we don't have time. I mean, this would be a whole workshop to to talk about this stuff. But in general, the soul is kind of the intangible parts of a person that keep everything together. So we have our mind, our emotion. We have our spirit. We have all these different parts of us, our will. And kind of the inner part of us that we don't see about a person, but we know about a person. You know, whether they're kind of peaceful or not, you know, their whole like personality, psyche, that kind of whole thing where like if you know a person well, it's, it's like you know things about them that the x-ray machine isn't going to reveal. You know, you know things about them that are intangible. And you can see if you're doing a CAT scan, when that person's thinking or saying things, certain parts of their brain will actually fire off. And, and so we're tempted to think that the brain is actually manufacturing all that stuff, but it's not. The brain is reacting to all that stuff. The soul is working and the brain is reacting to what the soul's doing. And when the soul is at peace, the body's at peace. And when the soul's in turmoil, the body has tension and stress, and there's stuff that starts to happen inside of us that's not good when our soul is not at rest. The soul is the stuff that keeps it all together, that kind of connects it all. But underneath of the soul is this thing called the spirit. And the spirit is the eternal part of us that relates directly to God. And we were dead spiritually, but we were made alive spiritually through what Christ did on the cross. And because we were made alive spiritually, that means we have the ability to communicate with God. When the veil was torn, our spirits were regenerated. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. We have life again. The Holy Spirit is there. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest passages in all of the Bible. I'm sure that many of you find uh, huge verses of comfort in Romans 8. We're going to look starting at verse 9, okay? It says, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You catch that? If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Your spirit is alive because of the righteousness of God put on you. He put righteousness on you. It brings your spirit to life. Verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, in other words, if the Holy Spirit is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. If he is regenerating our spirit, 
It goes from there, speaks well to our soul and to our body. Our body does better because the Holy Spirit inside of us is working to change us in a way that's more healthy for our body. It puts us back into the way we were created to be. Okay, now keep going here. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. I want you to pause there for a second. In our souls, what we're saying is we don't have, we don't have a spirit. We were not given a spirit of fear. How much of what we do is based in fear? You know, fear of what my parents were thinking when I'm a kid and how that shapes the rest of my life. You know, if you think Freudian, you know, fear of the rejection of other people, fear of insecurities, fear of loss of a job, fear of, of loss of approval of other people, fear of rejection, fear of all sorts of things. And we find that people all the time are constantly reacting to the things that they're afraid of. And they live their lives in fear, reacting to all these other things. And what the scriptures are telling us here is we did not receive a spirit of fear. We received a spirit of sonship. What is sonship? This means when we have our dad, God, walking with us in the garden, overseeing us, saying, don't worry about that. I'm your dad. I got you. You don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. You know what Abba means? What's Abba mean? Anybody know? Daddy. We cry, Daddy. This is what we cry. Daddy. Daddy. We don't have a spirit that makes us afraid. We have a spirit that gives us all the confidence in the world because we have God Almighty as our Daddy. You know? And it changes the game. And this is in the deep part of our spirit. So keep going. There's one more verse. This is the most important verse I want us to see in Romans here. In verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We have a spirit that is regenerated by Christ on a cross and then the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God comes in and the temple of the Holy Spirit is now not something behind a veil, it's something within us. It's our spirits and we can have direct communication with God and His Spirit testifies to our spirit constantly whispering to us, you are my child. You are my child child. Now I want you to stop for a second and I want you to think about whatever that situation is that you said you needed wisdom for. What is it? Think about it. Get it in your minds. Now God is sitting right next to you and he's wrapping his arm around you and you're asking what you should do in this situation and one thing he for sure is saying to you right now that he's trying to speak into your spirit is don't be the grown-up. I am your father, and I love you. And whatever this situation is that you have, you need to know that I am in charge, and that I have a plan, and it is good. Trust me, I'm your dad. He is speaking that to each and every one of us for our situation right now. How do I know that? Because that's what he says in Romans 8, that he has given us a spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father, and his spirit is communicating to our spirit that we are God's children, and he's a perfect dad. And what's more is, is that he can see everything that we can't see. This is the amazing thing. This is the amazing part of it, is that he can see everything that we can't see. You see, Paul very clearly reveals to us that there is a limitation, that there's this, there's this problem, that there's this one issue, one major issue that stands between our wisdom and the wisdom of God. And he reveals it to us in this text, and he reveals it to us not only through what he's saying, but through what passages he's quoting from. He, he quotes from these two Hebrew passages, or from these two uh, 
uh, Old Testament passages, and we'll get to them. But first, I want you to look at verse 6 through uh, 9 of chapter 2 of Corinthians. We're back in Corinthians, our text. And he says this, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age. Hold on to that. Not the wisdom of this age. It's different than the wisdom of this age. Or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak a secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before what began? Time. What separates our wisdom from God's wisdom? There's the wisdom of this age and the wisdom that was there before time began. See, time is a huge thing that separates us from understanding what God understands. There's two things about time. First of all, time is our limitation. We can't see what God can because we exist in the realm of time. And we have all these questions all the time that are all rooted in this whole thing of time. You know, we, understand, we ask the questions, why does God allow evil to prosper? You know, why does he allow that? Why does a good God allow bad things to happen? You know, we have all these questions. But all those questions are in such a limited framework and we're looking at from such a limited perspective in the realm of time. But God, who was there from eternity past and eternity future, looks at the person of Job and he says, it all makes sense to me. It all makes sense to me. Does he not love Job because he allows Job to suffer? That's like saying, I don't, allow, I don't love my kids because when they go to soccer practice on a hard day, they have to work hard and they're sweating and when they fall down and they get a little cut, I tell them to get up and keep moving. Well, it's, it, it's rough that it hurts and that it's hot and that you got to cut, but in order for, your, for the good in the long term, you got to man up here, buddy, let's go. You know, and for God, the things that seem so huge to us, that seem epically horrible to us, in light of eternity, in light of the timeless perspective of God, he understands things about us. He is our dad and he loves us. And Paul quotes from two passages here. He quotes from Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 64. And first I want to look at Isaiah 40. What he says in Isaiah 40 is they're talking, God's talking to the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah. And, and he says this beautiful line. I just absolutely love it. You've heard this quoted before because you've heard it from 1 Peter. It's quoted in 1 Peter. Verse 6 of Isaiah 40 says, A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. That's awesome. It's incredible. The word of God, which can divide between the soul and the spirit, speaks eternally. And he communicates to our spirit in a way that brings regeneration and peace to my soul and life to my body. If I will choose to not rest in my own wisdom, but will choose to take God at his word and believe that he is the timeless one who knows the truth. And so I will trust my dad because he knows what's best. And as long as I trust him my spirit will find peace because my dad whispers to me so my soul will go at rest and my body will find ease and it doesn't mean that i will have a nicer car than my neighbor and it doesn't mean that i will have the biggest house but it does mean that my home will experience love and joy and peace the second thing with time is not only that it's our limitation it's also that it's our commodity. It's our resource. It's what we have to work with in this realm of the Spirit. Honestly, even though the Spirit is timeless, He gives us something to work with. Time. You see, in order for us to actually know God, we have to learn to engage the relationship with God. And that takes what? Time. In Isaiah 64, as they were going through the same thing, God was trying to teach these people not to depend on themselves, but to depend on Him, to not look to their own wisdom, but to look to Him. And if you look in, verse, in chapter 64, starting in verse 6, it says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and our righteous acts are like filthy rags. 
We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the winds, our sins sweep us away. That's when that darkness pushes us out from the light of God. And then in verse 7, he says this, No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. This is the problem. The problem is no one's striving to lay hold of you. He removed our sins from us. As far as the east is from the west, someone told me something great about that the other day. God didn't remove our sins as far as the north is from the south. You know why? Because if you go north, eventually you're going south. And if you go south, eventually you're going north. But if you go east, you never go west. You know? That's, That's a really good point. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. It never comes back around. It's gone. Our righteousness is, our, our unrighteousness, our sin is absolutely gone. He removed the stain. But the question still remains, does anyone strive to lay hold of God? We can now because he's made us righteous, because he's washed it, because he's torn the veil, because it's wide open. But do we strive to lay hold of God? Do we strive to lay hold of him? And what it takes to lay hold of him is time. It takes time. Listen, in both chapters here, we see it in verse 4 of 64. It says, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. This is what Paul quoted in the passage. No ear has seen, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared and what Paul says, what God has prepared for those who love him is what Paul quotes. What the Old Testament is for those who what? Who wait for him. Notice how Paul translates waiting for him to loving him. See that? Paul quotes the passage, but then he says, for those who love him, because Paul understands that loving God has to do with waiting on God. Because loving and trusting take time. If you look at it in Isaiah 40, it's in the same same basic thing. Starting in verse 28 in Isaiah 40, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. The young men stumble and fall, but those, and if you have NIV, it says those who hope in the Lord. If you have any other translation, they translate it much better here, and it says, And you all know it because you memorized this in in, uh, King James or something else. It says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk but will not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. This is the key. George MacDonald, the mentor of C.S. Lewis and of J.R.R. Tolkien, he says this, that the principal aspect of faith is patience. The principal aspect of faith is patience. In other words, we have to let go of our agenda and get on God's time frame if we are going to develop this relationship with God and wait on Him. And what Paul's saying is, in other words, if we want the secret wisdom of God, if you piece it together, if we want the secret wisdom of God, then we have to get close enough to God to hear His Spirit whisper into our spirit. And it takes time for me to develop that spiritual connection with God. And I know that as I look across this room right now, that there is very, very few people who have just tons of extra time. Most of us, many of us, have far too much to do in far little time far too little time to actually accomplish what it is that we need to do. And this is the way it always is. The resources that we have versus what it is that we need to accomplish, they never add up. We live in a fallen world. And so what does God say? Make first things first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added onto you. I know that it is hard to develop a personal walk with God. I know that the personal spiritual disciplines 
are not easy. I know that to get up every morning and to open up my Bible and to read it is not easy. I know that to spend significant amounts of time in prayer and developing my personal relationship with God isn't easy. I know that making it to church every Sunday and engaging in church, it isn't easy. I know that the spiritual disciplines, the practices that it takes to engage a deep relationship with God are not easy. But the question is, Paul says God has something special in store for those who love him, those who trust him. And the way that is in the Old Testament is those who wait on him. In other words, here it is. There's a race set before you. We have commodity. We have time. We have 80 years or whatever that's in front of us, you know? Some of us have a lot less. But we are given together a certain amount of time in our lives. And we get to use that however we want. And there is a race that Paul talks about. And as I go to run that race, I have to choose how to use this time. Whether I develop that relationship with God or whether I use human wisdom to go after my success, to do this, to do that, to do whatever it is. And I have to choose what's going to be important. And this is the picture that I have in my mind as I think about this. Is we are running that race and we look around at the people around us who are achieving this, who are doing this, and all those. And if we stop and take the time to do what God's called us to, they continue to do what it is that they're going to do while I'm sitting here in the Bible. You know? And how does that actually affect me? And what Paul says is, he says to Timothy, physical training is of some value. But training for godliness has value for all things. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. If you are running that race, you stop and turn to the well of life, to Christ. And you say, even though it's Sabbath day and they're still running, I'm going to stay right here and connect with God. Even though the early bird gets the worm and they're doing this, I'm going to get into the word. And I'm going to go after God. And what happens is, is God comes and he puts us on his wings. And we rise up and we fly right past the competition. Because we are on the wings of God. Because we don't depend on the wisdom of men. We depend on God Almighty. And he is my father. And he's got me. And I got to choose to trust him. And the primary way that he wants each of us to trust him is by learning to know him, to listen to him. If you need help with your spiritual life, if you need help learning to develop your own personal connection, your spirit communication with God, we have developed this book here called The Personal Practices in Pursuit of God, the booklet that we have on the welcome table that is all about developing those personal spiritual disciplines. And I would encourage you to grab a hold of that and use it as tips about how we engage our spiritual walk with God. If you look through that and you still need help, please come and talk to myself or someone else. Man, there's nothing more that as a pastoral staff or as elders or leaders or as brothers and sisters in Christ that we would love to do with each other and need to do with each other more than encourage each other to hear and know the voice of our dad in our lives. Okay, let's pray.